Okay. So one of my good friends that I go photograph with, Dusty Doddridge, um, we go what to the What a cool name, lot. man. Hang on. Isn't it? Isn't what a it? cool name. I'm wow. telling you. And yeah. Look, he, uh, oh, what's his friend's name? His friend's name is like Rusty Bridges or something. <laughs> I, don't I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. And you're very welcome to episode 135 of the Irish Photography Podcast. My name is Darren, I'm your host this evening, and I'm joined by somebody who is not somebody who hasn't been on podcasts many, many times before. In fact, he's got his very own podcast, and he's quite accomplished at it as well. So, welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast, David Johnston. How are you getting on, buddy? Hey, Darren, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's always fun being on other people's podcasts and being on the other side of the mic for a change. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a much easier life anyway, I'm told. But yeah, I enjoy kind of hosting. And I'm sure you enjoy hosting quite a lot too because I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and you are quite good at it, to be fair. So that's a good start, I think. <laughs> I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, yeah. It's Being on this side, you know, it's a little... I think it's more stressful, honestly, because like, where is this going? I'm, you know, maybe it goes one direction. Maybe you spin it in another direction. At least when I'm on your side of things, I have mm -hmm. control over what's going to be asked. Yeah, very, very true. Very true. I've only got a couple of scary questions, which I'll throw in there unbeknownst with you. But no, we'll be fine. I'm sure we'll be fine. We'll be fine. So, um, Good afternoon anyway to you. It's evening for me here in Ireland, but you're in the US and I suppose, what time is it there at the moment? Yes, sir. It is 3.29 p.m. 3.29 p.m. Okay, so it's 9.29 p.m. here. So we'll be done by 2 a.m. my time, I'd say. So Perfect. 7 p.m. your time. Yeah, that'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> and I suppose, David, just, just so we start off in case anybody doesn't know who you are, can you give us a brief kind of overview? Who is David Johnston? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm from Tennessee. Uh, I just love photography. You know, what's what's interesting about um, my journey in photography, and I'm sure we'll get into it in, in the following questions, but it's been very tumultuous. Uh, it's taken a lot of twists and turns, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for all of them, but I'm a Tennessee photographer. I dabble in uh, landscapes primarily, really been shooting a lot of uh, macro, like ethereal, dreamy kind of stuff lately. Nice. And it's just, you know, being a photographer in Tennessee, you don't get the same community I feel like you do as when you're out west in the United States and you have that, you know, giant population of photographers who shoot out west, whether California, Oregon, Washington, or Utah. But uh, we still have a lot of really fun places that you can get into and the crowds are are pretty sparse besides the Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee. Mm, interesting. Yeah, because, you know, I'm, as you know, from Ireland and I'm used to being close to the coast. But I mean, how far away is the coast from your point of view in regards to that? Who I think the closest coast I can get to is about seven hours wow. from me. 
Um, wow. And that's, you know, on, on the coast of Ireland, you're getting those dynamic weather waves that come in and craggy coastlines. And mm-hmm. the closest beach I can get to is like smooth white sand beaches, zero waves whatsoever. Mm. And it's like <laughs> completely opposite. Well, you know what? You have the Smoky Mountains. I mean, they're real sure. mountains. You know, in Ireland, we say we've got mountains, but most people look at them and say they're just hills. But, you know, I mean, real mountains are something, I think, which is in itself its own ecosystem or its own um, microclimate because you will have hot and cold weather there, which will create some incredible conditions as well and lots of mood and lots of atmosphere. So, yeah, as much as I love the sea, I think, you know, close to the Smoky Mountains, I think you'll get equally dynamic light anyway, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And the mountains themselves kind of create their own weather. Like you said, the weather changes, the the hot and the cold when they mix, you know, they're called the Smoky Mountains for a reason. So mm-hmm. you get incredible fog that runs through the trees and the valleys and down in the waterfall areas. So it is a, a very nice. dynamic area with uh, old growth forests up top and mountain streams down at the bottom and, and valleys like right now in the spring, you know, spring blossoms are, are exploding. So it's a great time. Nice. nice. And tell me, when did you get started in photography? Was it early in your life? Was it later in your life? Tell us the story of that. When did it bite you? When did the bug bite you? You know, it's it's really funny. I started in high school um, when I was about 17 and I took a film photography class in high school because I wanted to get out. I found this loophole in the rules in high school that I could get out of a geography course if I took a creative arts course. So Brilliant. I signed up for film photography and did that course thinking it would be an easy a i'm pretty sure i made a c in the course because film is if anyone who's listening who knows film is much harder than it seems (laughs) true story yeah yeah being somebody who had no idea about like the exposure triangle or how a camera worked or how to you know we we had our own dark room so we would go in and expose our own prints and um it was really hard and i messed up a whole lot and the, the irony of it all is that I majored in geography in college. So that course in high school really would have come in handy. Um, but, you know, I, I majored in geography because I loved being outside. I loved hiking. I loved exploring uh, the, the infield labs that we would do in geography. I was always the one at the very back uh, holding up the entire group, you know, trying to and with my little point and shoot camera at the time trying to compose something that was different than what I was seeing than everybody Mm -hmm. else was taking photos of. And it didn't really click with me that, that that's what I should be doing. And I got a job, a desk job with a city government that I just, you know, couldn't take any longer. And I worked on my first podcast for about five years before I jumped over to uh, trying photography full time. Um, And, and really, things got got kicked off for me when I got my first digital camera in 2010 and just exploring with that on the same beaches that I'm, I'm I was talking about with you mm-hmm. earlier exploring the light and the sunrise and, and compositions out there and I had one of those mornings where you're just in the creative flow and everything kind of just comes together and it's effortless and I thought I could really do this full time if I could make it work and um, hating my job so much um, 
I, I really went for it full force with the support, uh, the great support from my partner, my wife, um, and, and she really encouraged me. I almost quit several times along the way. I'll be honest mm. with you. And mm -hmm. she was like, you know what? You know what you're doing. Keep at it. Uh, work it on the side for a while, and then you can make the jump. And and when I finally did, you know, all the credits to her because she kept me in that healthy mindset of doing that. And and um, jumping to full time was hard at first. Uh, I didn't make any money for the first six months, and mm. we had kind of a fallback account for that situation. And I finally kind of figured out what set me apart and how I was a little bit different. That's quite interesting, I suppose. And a couple of things just to expand on that is, you know, to have the support network and to have your wife to ha who has your back, that is really, really important as well. Because if you don't have that, you're always kind of second guessing the decision, but she's helping you and encouraging you to kind of push on. And you're saying that you had wanted to quit a couple of times, but she probably was the one who said, no, stick with it. And I think that's really, really important because without it, are you in a different situation from a mindset point of view as well, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. And it, it all comes down to communication, you know, letting each other know what you want, like what are your goals for, mm -hmm. you know, this year, five years down the road. Obviously, stuff can come up like the pandemic and we can mm -hmm. get, you know, quarantined to what did you say, five Five kilometers Five. in Ireland, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so things can come up like that and set you back. But but when you have each other's back like that, and I know what her goals were, and we work to, to do those as well mm -hmm. and, and make mm -hmm. those a reality, um, it, it's really encouraging. You know, I'll be honest with you, Darren, I, I haven't told anybody else this. There were a few months ago when I came to my wife and I said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Maybe right. I should just get a like consistently paying job where I have like a, a check coming in the mail or a direct mm -hmm. deposit. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that would be a lot more healthy for our family. And, and she said, I love that you love what you do and I right. love our lifestyle and I'm willing to give up that security to see you happy. And we really had this good communication and coming together of mm. like reframing what the goals were and, and kind of bringing me back to the ground, if you know what I mean. 100%. And I think that's really important as well, because if you decided to kind of jack it in and go back to the desk job, she probably knows you in so well better than yourself that you wouldn't even be happy doing that and that you'd be longing to go back to what you're passionate about. And, you know, um, I remember a couple of weeks back when I was talking with Mark Denny, he said a statement to me, which was, you know, find a job you love. You never have to work another day in your life. And he always thought that was a pipe dream, but he got an opportunity to try and live it. And then very quickly he went, you know what, actually this could be that pipe dream because yes, financial side, things aside, if you enjoy what you're doing, you actually are better in your output as opposed to not enjoying what you're doing. And then you're effectively on the mill. You're you're going around and around for the sake of that paycheck every single week or every single month. So passion, I think, is something which you can't really teach. You either have a passion for something or you have a draw for something. And if you have that and you're good at it, then I think your wife is right to say, no, keep going, keep going, you know, so. That's really, really important. And it's encouraging as well to hear another person say a similar thing to that, to that, you know, your partner has your back because without that, 
you are in a different playing field. So yeah, that's really, really good to to kind of hear. So I think, you know, with that in mind, really, I suppose, David, you alluded to it then, the second point to coming from when you were in college. So you did film, and I'm sure you were the guy out in the geography, you know, walks that was taking the pictures, as you say, of everything. So you've tried all different styles of photography. Have you, is there any style of photography that you haven't tried? And then is there a favorite of what you have tried? Um, I will add, I, th- I think my wife said those things for her own sanity too. Cause she, <laughs> she like you said, she knows I'd be going crazy. So for her Absolutely, own yeah. says my back, um, I, have I tried, has there anything I haven't tried? Let's see. Um, I haven't tried too much of like the really abstract stuff. Okay. Um, black and white is something that I haven't done a ton of, but I have tried them, you know, anything outdoors for me is kind of my bread and butter. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think having a lot of people on the podcast and talking to a lot of photographers over the years and with like the birth of social media and following that when it first started, um, the, the thing I loved most about exploring was seeing other people's work and thinking like, how, how did they do that? And then trying to figure out on, on my own. And I wouldn't necessarily look up how to do it. Maybe like night photography might be a little bit different when you're, you know, there's so many parameters you have to know before you go out. But like, uh, macro photography, for example, or waterfall photography, forest photography, I, tried to figure that out on my own uh and it forced me to go out a lot the only things i really haven't tried in photography are like portraits weddings i did one wedding and i said this is the last one i'll ever do um and then (laughs) and then just like random stuff you know i'll just go walking in the woods and and come across something that catches my eye and and think you know i i really haven't done this very much if we travel I'll do a lot of street photography just for fun, architecture photography. So I think doing a lot of photography helps you in your main niche of like landscapes for me, because, okay, if I frame up these buildings and architecture photography, if I'm traveling, maybe that emulates some mountains later on down the road, if I'm out West or maybe that helps me figure out like shooting through a natural window and forest photography or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So it all kind of weaves in and out of one another and and comes together in a really unique way. Very interesting because similar to, you know, you and me, I think I I couldn't do a wedding. There's no way I've said it many, many times in the podcast. I could not do it. Um, My kids, by the time a moment comes and goes, I haven't got the camera out. I haven't got the right lens on. I haven't got the flash on. I just take out my phone. I take the photograph with the phone because it's a candid moment. You want to get it quick. And it's always been something that I've always said, you know what? I want to learn it. I want to be better at it. I want to be able to know that I can get the camera. Okay, it won't be instantaneous like the phone or the pocket, but at least when I have the opportunity, I know to take the shot. I now know how to take the shot, but do I do it? No, I don't, because it's just purely don't. My kids are young, so it's hard enough for them to keep still. Never mind, say, pose for a photograph or anything like that. So exactly that. I mean, you know, the landscape is something that that really attracts me. But I love what you say there about, you know, trying different styles of photography and having the camera with you and picking something out when you walk in the woods that you wouldn't necessarily pick out because it's another skill. It adds another skill. 
And it added it adds another ability as well that you can draw on if you ever needed it. When it comes to a different time of the year or a different spot, you've done something before. So you're not fumbling around trying to, oh, sugar, how am I going to do this? You know what you're doing because you've done it in your pastime, let's just say. But when the moment arrives, then, boom, you know what you need to do. And I think one thing that, that you mentioned here, which is astrophotography, because astrophotography seems extremely complicated and it is very complicated, but when you nail it, it's not that complicated because you just got to make sure you know the settings, what you've got to do, how you're going to get your focus, which is the biggest one. But it is another opportunity then, because once you've practiced on something, then you can go out and you can say, okay, I know to shoot the night sky. Now what I need is something in front of it from a foreground point of view. And then it, it presents another challenge, which is, okay, I'm doing my 25 second exposure. Okay, well, now my foreground is dark. How do I do some? So then you have to learn more things about that. So every time we use the camera, do you think we get innately better and more comfortable and the muscle memory builds up and every time we use the camera? In a way, I think for technique, yes. And like kind of the example that you were throwing out, uh, night sky photography, if you're shooting the Milky Way, once you have those settings down, you have them down. Once mm -hmm. you figure out the foreground element and, and that long exposure, like a two and a half minute exposure to naturally light the foreground, you, you have that down. Uh, and, and star trails too are the same thing. I love shooting star trails and people always ask me, you know, how do you, how do, you do that? That seems so complicated. I'm like, really? You just set up one shot and set up your, your intervalometer and sit you sit there for the next <laughs> hour and a half. And yeah. that's pretty much it. Um, but I think creatively, uh, it ebbs and flows. You, you get better in your own creative expression as a photographer. And sometimes you, you, you kind of take a step back and, and maybe that stems from life events that you're going through. Maybe that stems from you are rushed at the time of going out and taking a photograph. So technically I do think you learn something and you get a little bit better each and every time creatively it's this up and down checkpoint style of exploring who you are as a photographer and exploring your own expression through your images. Mm, absolutely. And I think one other area that comes to mind then from all of that is when you practice, you get better, mm -hmm. but you will not get better unless you make mistakes and it's mm. okay to make mistakes, you know, but like, this is the point I think that a lot of people it generally can be the last part that people learn in their photography journey because you can learn about the settings, you can learn about the camera, you can learn about light, but it's composition. And composition is something which is very powerful in an image. Light is really, really important, 100%. But you could have beautiful light and a bad composition, or you could have a great composition and poor light you know that the one is going to be better that has the better composition because it's going to bring, bring you through the image. And I think that's something that generally comes with, with practice, but also comes with making mistakes. And I think, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes because it's part of the journey. And the more we use the camera, then ultimately, I think the better that we can, we can get for the times when we need to get back out. And that's the thing I wanted to ask you, I suppose, you know, when the areas that you would go shooting on, um, have you a favorite time of the year when you'd like to go back to locations that you found? So like, do you do many recce journeys and go, okay, this will be great for fall. This will be great for winter. This will be great for spring. Like, is there a favorite season that you've kind of drawn to over the years based on all of that experimenting with the camera and different things in different areas over the years previous? Definitely. Um, 
I think at, the, at this point, you know, we're all like, I'll go out and shoot any time of the year. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> just, we just want to get out. Um, but if I'm out scouting in a location like summer and winter, I really don't shoot all that much. Um, and I'll go out to new locations and try to figure out uh, different compositions for, like you said, spring and fall. But spring for me, like right now, uh, the rejuvenation of all the plants, mm. uh, all the trees budding out, like the dogwoods, the fire thorns around us are just exploding in color. And it's just like this good feeling. It's warm again. Um, the grass is growing, so everything's a little bit greener. I, I love that season of photography and, and also season of the year. Um, fall, fall is a little bit, I, I think, spring is a little bit more predictable for me where I live. Um, cause you can kind of say, okay, from this point in April to this point, it's going to be a banger shot. Like this, this tree is going to blossom out and you're going to nail it in terms of fall with changing weather patterns, uh, especially year to year. But I've started to notice in our area and, and where I live in West Tennessee, we're getting really wet midsummers, but really dry late summers. So mm. what happens in that is it kind of throws off the fall color season for me in a guessing game of, are we going to have one cold snap and a storm that blows through with straight line winds and just knocks everything? Yeah, or are we going to have like a week of where it's a marathon of shooting and by the end of the week, you're just dead tired. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, it, it's spring and then fall comes in at a, at a close second, but that's just because fall is like a helter skelter, you know, <laughs> fly by the seat of my pants, figure out what to do in the field and, and go for it. Yeah. And I think with that in mind too, as you say, like spring is more gradual. Fall mm. can be we call it autumn here, but I'm calling it fall, obviously, because you call it fall. Sure. Right? But that, that could be something which is there, as you say, can be, oh, my God, this is going to be incredible. And then it just takes that cold snap and a wind and it's gone. And mm-hmm. other years, it can last for a longer period of time as well. You can get, you know, the start of fall colors, you get the peak of fall colors, and then it takes a long while as well for all those leaves to disappear. So you get the full story of fall as well. But I think spring is, as you say, and I like that idea is that it's more predictable because there's not much going to happen to knock the new buds off the trees, but it's actually a very, very unique color green. It's a very light color green. And it's something I think that, you know, a lot of people look over because it's it's not there yet. There's only a small bit here and such like that. But you started as well now to do some macro in spring. And you're really mm-hmm. kind of honing in on that too, to be able to look at those budding flowers. And as you say, there's a, a bloom of color. Is that something that you've done before now or you just started to kind of look at that differently at this point in time i i think i noticed it when i was doing the the grander landscapes um and and shooting spring in east tennessee really brings this to mind of noticing that the trees were turning like that neon green that you get sometimes especially when they're backlit with Mm. like some foggy conditions Uh, i mean that is like my kind of light right there. Mm -hmm. And then you have some of these trees that are just like beginning to bud out and they're a little bit red and over here they're purple and 
then you have a dogwood that's white and it's just all meshes together into this beautiful like tapestry of color but i never noticed it in a sense of doing the smaller scenes like the macro photography um until i got i got a lens baby lens uh, a velvet lens this past year to try out uh, and i started doing it last spring when all those greens were coming out and uh, there were a lot of ferns budding and and having those like twisted and swirled fern fronds that start to come out in the spring mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I i mean i would spend days photographing those and trying to get it just right and this spring, I've, I've moved towards those uh, budding trees, the flowering trees. Uh, and just the other day, I was, I was down by uh, a random parking lot in a veterinary clinic just mm -hmm. down the road. And there was this amazingly beautiful tree. And I probably spent an hour photographing it. And not even, it felt like five minutes had gone by. And, you know, with stuff like that, it's just a mental break it's five minutes down the road and it's just fun to try something new and that velvet lens what i love so much about it is it 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 gives you the focus and where you want it like a macro lens would but it puts such a soft edge on it it puts like an ethereal dreamy look to mm. it without going to uh like something you could do in photoshop to get that same effect i love the out of camera look that it gives uh, to a lot of my macro stuff that I've been doing uh, in the past year. Yeah, it's actually very, very nice. And, you know, as you say, exactly that. It's a very good description you've given of the images as well because it is an ethereal look, but it, it looks like beautiful bokeh. And you're mm. going, oh, yeah, this is lovely. But you actually, the point that you're looking at as well here is the most important point, which is the focal point of the image. So everything else becomes incidental because that's what you want to look at. But the rest isn't incidental because it's actually complementing what you're mainly looking at because it's now helping you to frame that as well. So, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed those images that you've been posting recently on those. And I can see when you say there, you know, five minutes is what you thought. And you, then you say, OK, Jesus, an hour has passed. It kind of does it remind you of your college days, you know, when you as you say you're kicking up the group behind you um, and you're taking, oh, give me five minutes, guys. And you hang on, hang on. David, we're 30 minutes here waiting for you to kind of take this shot. So it's probably a bit of history repeating itself there as well, I think, on that one. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that before, but I think you're exactly right. And that's uh, it's funny. You know, we move with new techniques or, or new thoughts or ideas in photography. We move in that cyclical pattern. You know, we come back to where we started and just like trying to figure it all out like i was talking about just a little while ago trying to figure out okay why does this ethereal scene look different than the other one why do i like this background better what can i do to get a perspective on it where it looks like the edge of the flower is just like coming out of nowhere but then it hits and focus mm -hmm. in just the right spot and you know i i think i hadn't thought of that before but but now um yeah i think you're right <laughs> it's all stemmed from the college days yeah and actually you know what so, sp speaking of the college days to kind of digress uh slightly um sport seems to have played a lot and a big part in your life i think that comes from the college days as well i think yeah so you were into basketball football snowboarding as well i believe yeah 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 um snowboarding was really fun i went to the university of tennessee i it was the it was my parents probably went nuts because it was the only college I applied to because I love 
their football team. And that's the only reason I wanted to go. Uh, So I went there. I didn't play football, but I went there to watch football uh, and get a degree along the way. But, um, you know, I still follow them all the time. And, and I played basketball. Like I, I was one of those kids that like understood the game, but I'm six, five. And at that point I was pretty squirrely, uh, coordination wise. So I didn't really, I couldn't really hang with the school team. I was always like that last person cut at tryouts. Um, so I would play like a lot of the intramural sports and, um, when you're that tall and gangly, you, you have to be pretty coordinated to make the team. And I just wasn't, uh, I did play baseball, the same kind of thing. Uh, uh, our team had a guy who could throw like 90 miles an hour and then they would put me in at the end of the game and I threw like 50. So everyone okay. just couldn't, couldn't get the timing right on the pitches. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. I like that. I, idea. I did. Yeah. yeah. I did play lacrosse, uh, which I don't know if, do you know what lacrosse is in Ireland? I know it from the movies. We don't have it here, but I know it from the movies. All right, yeah. So it's like um, a, a, a tennis racket, but there's a curve in the racket where you can hold the ball in the racket. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's it's like yeah. a net on the end of yeah. like the the pole, and um, you know, there's all the all the different rules to it. But I played lacrosse a lot. Um, it was kind of like, in in terms of like rough sports, that was kind of the rougher sport that I played it doesn't hold a candle to rugby or anything like, mm-hmm. like you may be used to. Yeah. 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 I mean, rugby is a fantastic sport. It is, you know, I mean, we look at American football and we go, all right, why are they wearing all these girly pads for, you know what I mean? But like <laughs> rugby is very much so full contact, full on sport. And, you know, you do have to be a certain type of person to be able to play rugby. Otherwise you're going to be folded in two when you go into a scrum and something like that as well. But, you know, like it's interesting you say that you're six five. I mean, you're the perfect height for basketball. And yeah. I imagine you can you know, just get the tall guy, you get him in here, he's gonna be good. But then as you say, the coordination wasn't there, so you might have been the sixth player to be picked out of five. So then you're not gonna get onto the to the first round team, I imagine, in that way. But like do you find that your experience with sport and the discipline that sport brings to you, has that helped your photography? going into the photography sphere, have you learned things that you still bring to this day from a sports psychology point of view or anything like that? That's a very good question. Um, I think so. You know, I still will like go run and train and and do other stuff like I did in high school. Um, But for the most part, like I think the, the mental side, how I was coached, um, it, it's, it's been a positive and negative, I think. Okay. Um, I was coached in a way that it was win or lose. It was mm-hmm. ultra competitive and, and that's how I was. And, and I, if I did not win a game, I was tore up, man. I like could not handle it. Uh, I was frustrated. I would try to figure out what went wrong and I have, been tempted to pull that mindset into photography as well but it never really goes well for you because you have no control over conditions or you know anything like that i i think it has been a positive for me in terms of getting to locations and continuing to try 
mm-hmm. um, because like like I said, I wasn't you know on that first team in high school all the time, uh, but I would continue to train. I would continue to try and go out, go out, go out, um, and kind of you know I was always tempted to not try out the next year, but mm-hmm. I would still go for it. Um, and I think in photography that's helped me on the physical side, you know, going on long treks or, or longer, steeper hikes. Um, that's something that I still enjoy because it does have that mental side of it where if I'm hiking for, you know, eight hours, let's say, uh, one of the famous hikes in the Smokies, Mount Leconte, you know, it's, it's not an easy hike to get up. Um, and back down in a single day, you know, am I tempted to turn around halfway up? Yeah, but I am enamored by the challenge of the physical side of that. Can I do it? Uh, how much does it take? And, and I'll watch, like, I'll listen to motivational speeches from coaches and stuff like that still. So, um, I'm kind of weird like that. No, but you know what? I think it's very, very valid, though, because like sports psychology is really, really powerful because, mm. you know, I often use an example here with friends of mine and people that I work with is that you know, Usain Bolt, when he's lining up on the start at the 100 meters, he is not thinking, going, I hope I don't come last. I hope I don't come last. He is mm. thinking about coming first and he's not thinking about anybody else. He says, I'm going. There's my line. That's my focus. And that's where I'm going. There will be times that he won't become first. Okay, they're rare in the last number of years, but there's been times, obviously, in his career that he hadn't come first. And it's that mentality that allows you to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and start the next game again. Because if you if you beat yourself up too much, like you say, halfway up that trek, you might turn and go, oh, geez, okay, I'm tired, I want to get back. The motivational speech, that get, that's what pushes you there, but also the goal that you've set yourself to reach. And then mm-hmm. when you reach that goal, Next time you next time you do it, you'll say, "Okay, I want to do it the next time without stopping halfway or without stopping three quarters." And that's what pushes people on. And it's just, you know, there's a huge benefit I think from a mindset point of view that sports brings. And like that's why I was interested to kind of see how that would have affected your photography as well, because that is a very good motivator. It does push you on as well to achieve, and it makes you get better. I think by default, and your your photography effectively will evolve as well over the years. Because of that motivation, because if we don't have motivation, I mean, that's something I've spoken again before on is that um, everybody's motivation is different, but there's two real types of motivation. You're either motivated towards something good or away from something bad. Mm. And if you understand where your motivation is coming from, the end, the net result is still exactly the same thing. So it comes from when we were kids. It comes from when we were growing up. If our parents said to us, okay, if you're bold again, you won't get this. Or if Mm -hmm. you're good, you will get this. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing that they will get, but the motivation picks on the individual person. So Mm -hmm. sport, I think for me, is really, really powerful from that point of view. Yeah, I no, that makes total sense. And and you saying that, like I was thinking about, you know, a lot of times in sport, how, uh, you know, if I'm six, five, I was very skinny at the time, so I couldn't. And, and I was one of the taller people in my school. So I, I was under six feet when I started high school. So I played okay. a different position between freshman year and sophomore year. I grew six inches and I was six, five. Wow. So I was playing this new position. I didn't know kind of what to do. The guys I was playing against were twice as wide as I was. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would be very intimidated by that of like, okay, just don't screw up this shot. Um, when I would turn that switch and, and you saying that made me remember this. There was, a, there was one game I did play against this person that I really did not like. And I was just like, I'm going to absolutely dominate this game. And I, it was like lights out. Uh, I couldn't miss, but, um, going back to that over and over, I would always default to the, these guys are bigger than me. Mm -hmm. Um, they kind of, they have the advantage there. And I think that that's a really good point of, of saying, you know, the Usain Bolt example, he looked at winning the race. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, as photographers, if we're confident in what we're doing and we have that motivation, we look at these are the conditions we have. This is the light we have. I know what to do with the camera. This is the lens I'm going to use. You know, I'm going to get the best shot that I can get here. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like, I, I think it's very, very interesting to even hear your thought in it because, like I say, sport plays such a big part um, and the motivation to be able to do that. But also it gives you the physical ability as well to be able to do those hikes and such like that. And if I can go to a different topic for a moment, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when I was doing research, obviously, on you to discuss different things. I noticed that you know, in 2017, you and your wife, you moved to Haiti. And like, that's a whole different world completely from what you're used to. But also, you have to have a mental resilience as well to be able to go there and thrive. You also have to have the physical ability to be able to go there and thrive. So can you tell us, I suppose, a couple of things there in relation to that? Number one, you know, about that part of your life. What was the motivation to go to Haiti and such like that? And also, did that have an effect on your photography journey also? Yeah, uh, both. Um, so the, the decision to go there, uh, my wife and I were both, uh, Christ followers. So we're Christians and we went, we had this idea of that we would travel that while we traveled, we would help people along the way. Um, once we made our first trip, which was Haiti, we came back and we described like, okay, we feel like we should move to Haiti and, and be missionaries. Um, and we thought about this, uh, we went on several trips to all different locations in Haiti. And then we ultimately, uh, made that move in 2017, uh, in April, I believe. And, uh, we lived there for two years. Now, the interesting word that you use there is thrive. Um, I don't know if I was set up mentally to thrive. I was set up mentally to survive. Um, And not that I was like starving or anything, but um, mentally seeing what I would see and what I would experience, I was not ready for that. And maybe I was a bit naive uh, Mm -hmm. in that sense. Um, Now, let me say this, Haiti is a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. I love the people there. They couldn't be nicer, more welcoming. People invited us into their homes, giving us you know, food, uh, feeding us, making these relationships and connections. Uh, people were amazing. And, mm-hmm. and I loved the Haitian people and their culture uh, and, and what I learned from them. Now, in terms of the the side of not being prepared fully 
um, to see what I saw or experience what I saw. And that could be from leadership of, of what we were under, mm-hmm. or that could be from cultural differences that, that you experience and culture shock that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to develop tendencies of drawing back and that that's in my photography too. You know, I put my camera down for six months. I didn't touch it. Um, mm. I started picking it back up to take photos. My, my wife is a nurse midwife and a women's health nurse practitioner. Okay. So she was helping these women through their birth and we would go to their homes. Uh, I would drive to their homes and my wife would, would be with me. And she had two Haitian nurses that, that we would go out and visit these people with. And, uh, I would take their picture of them holding their baby for the first time and show them. And I, I didn't understand the gravity of the moment at the time, but those are some of my favorite photos that I've ever shot. Um, Mm. it's just Mm. so meaningful to me to, like I said, remember them inviting us into their homes and, uh, sharing that experience with them and, and them being so excited when they saw the photograph, mm-hmm. um, coming back from Haiti, I did start to, to pick my camera up a little bit more when I understood weather patterns of the Caribbean climate, uh, storms would roll in at like four o'clock every day. So I would go out and try to photograph storms and do time lapses and okay, yeah. all that yeah. fun stuff. And like we said, you know, just try stuff out and see yeah. if I could get it. Um, but when I came back from Haiti and started doing the, my new podcast, uh, started doing more of the YouTube stuff, uh, I started to notice that drawback. I thought, I thought that it would go away and it increased. Mm. Um, I became reclusive. I became, you know, um, I don't know about angry, but kind of agitated, And I went, I started going to counseling for it. And, uh, my counselor said, well, everything you're describing is, uh, PTSD. Mm. You know, we went through some of the things that I saw, some of the things that I went through and experienced. And, um, we did EMDR training for PTSD and, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to say I'm much better now. Mm -hmm. I still have some challenging nights and, and challenging weeks, but, um, for the most part, you know, I, I am much better than I was. Do I still struggle with that? Yeah. Do I still struggle with anxiety? Uh, tr- getting on an airplane is extremely difficult for me wow. in okay. terms yeah. of just those experiences going to Haiti and mm-hmm. being there for a long period of time, uh, I think had a very strange effect on me. I don't want to say negative, but it had a much different effect on me than it would if, you know, I'm going on vacation on an airplane. Now that's bled over into photography trips. Uh, I get very anxious before going on a trip and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out all the logistics of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, it was a great two years. It was a wild two years. Um, and it was a rough two years. I'll, I'll say it's this paradox of good and bad that you mm. hold in the same basket. Yeah. And, you know, it, it more or less strikes me as a kind of a life changing uh, moment, a life changing experience. But as you say here, when you came back the first time and you picked up the camera and you started to look 
and learn more about weather patterns. You kind of got more in tune, I think, with nature because obviously with the disaster that Haiti would have had, it's caused by nature. And mm -hmm. with that in mind, I suppose, something I wanted to discuss with you is you're very much so an advocate of preserving nature. Now, mm. that's a topic that we could have a conversation with for a couple of hours on itself <laughs> alone. But as a kind of an overview, really, where did that passion for the preservation come from and where does it sit with you now? I think it, it did stem from Haiti because it's such a beautiful country, but they have so much trash everywhere. They have a huge mm. problem with, with trash cleanup. Um, you know, they don't have a public waste system, landfills. It kind of just all goes to the side of the road. And then when you do get these natural floods that tend to happen and these uh, monsoon downpours and hurricanes, then your streets are covered in mud and mm. styrofoam takeout boxes and paper cups and plastic bags. Um, and it, it tarnishes what a beautiful country it is. Now coming back when I started to see more graffiti on some of my favorite hikes and my favorite locations, when I started to see that trash, um, I think it reminded me of, of what I saw there in terms of litter and, and, kind of damaging the natural resources that are there. And um, it, it hurt, it made me really sad. And I think going about natural preservation, especially with photography, uh, even locally uh, seeing, you know, there's a, there's a local hike that I do in a forest and there's a face spray painted on one of the trees. I used to go by, if, if, if I were there in, in years past, I would go by it and be like, haha, somebody spray painted a face. Mm -hmm. But now I go by it and I'm like, well, that's going to be there forever. And that's going to, you know, harm. Not only it's going to ruin a photograph for me, but it's going to damage everybody's experience with that place. Um, it's going to probably have negative effects on the bark of the tree the tree rings inside it could damage the roots i don't i don't know what chemicals are in spray paint but i can imagine they're probably not good for nature not natural um, anyway, for sure yeah yeah so i think coming back from that and starting to see you know more foot traffic on some places that i go to and more litter and more damage uh it, it just kind of reached a point where i wanted to start speaking up a little bit more about it uh wanted to start getting involved like nature first movement that that i know matt payne and a lot of other photographers started and are known for um so I'm, I'm more than thrilled to be a part of that and also working with the nature conservancy in tennessee on some photo projects uh kind of gave me a deeper understanding and relationship for areas in tennessee that are unexplored that they're looking at protecting as well. Yeah, very interesting. And I suppose one thing that comes to mind from that is people might say, ah, look, it's only a small bit of spray paint on one tree. Mm. Everything starts with something. Mm. And when somebody else comes along there, it's, oh, it's okay to do that here. And then all of a sudden there's now two. And then the next person comes there and now there's three. And then the next, and before you realize it, you have a number of trees that have been defaced, all starting from one. And I think that's the problem that we have with the damage that people are doing because they're not thinking full stop. I mean, there's not even a further area to go on that. They're just not thinking and it's selfish. Um, and I do think, you know, every time I go out, I find rubbish or trash that's been left behind. 
And mm -hmm. really, I mean, seriously, why does somebody think that that's acceptable? And I think it is something that we have to be more cognizant of. We have to be more aware of, but I think we have to be more respectful of as well. Because if we're not respecting of nature, it's the next generation that comes up. Like my kids will go into my local woods and all they'll ever know is that tree that has the face with graffiti on it. <laughs> yeah, They'll never know it anything other than that. And that's a shame, yeah. you know. Um, I, human, the human race, I think, has a lot to answer for. I mean, we've done a lot of good, but from nature's point of view, we haven't. And I'm, you know, uh, I've, I've recorded a podcast with Matt Payne as well, and we discussed that also, because it is something that is very, very important. And collectively, we can all do a small bit, but make a big difference. So uh -huh. I think, you know, it's interesting there that, that that comes from your experience in Haiti as well. So, yeah, look, that was a very interesting first chat that we've had here, David. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a very, very quick break and we'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalogue we have of episodes, where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. So David, like I said there in the first uh, part of the show, I kind of want to come back with something different now, right? So I want to discuss um, your photography journey, but what you do, I think, is quite good, different, and unique as well, because you offer people huge amounts of advice in the form of, you know, ebooks or video and such like that as well, and also on your website. And you're, you know, you'll you'll teach people how to take better photographs. So within that whole whole ecosystem and sphere of teaching. Do you have a preferred way that you to teach people? Do you find something that is, you know, more rewarding from your point of view or for the newsletters, which, which do you prefer to kind of help people out on? Um, I think, you know, what comes to mind for me, and it's actually surprising to me is the in-person instruction. And I haven't led workshops in years. I did one private one in, I believe, 2019 uh, in the fall. And that experience was very rewarding. Now, I selfishly, I want to say video content because I really enjoy making videos out in the field. I think, you know, I, I like taking pictures I do not like the post-processing necessarily. I'm the opposite with video. I, I don't really like filming in field, but I love editing a, a video and putting it together and, and adding a little bit like this little extra sound that just makes the video that much better in this one spot. Um, and I, I want to say video because I enjoy it, but I think that would be selfish. In field is really what gives the most value to the person that I'm teaching. Uh, and that's always what I want my business to be around mm -hmm. is adding as much value to the person that's investing in me as possible. So that could be if you are on my email list, you know, I'm going to give you emails where 90% of them are for free content where you can learn. 10% is going to be, hey, I just finish this course on panorama photography. Um, you can buy it if you want. You can move on to the next email if you don't. Um, mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. kind of my business structure in selling courses. 
what I love to show people in the field is their way of seeing the landscape. And what I mean by that is if we're, you know, in a location and I frame up a shot and, and they're kind of off a little bit, kind of doing their own thing, trying to figure it out. And they, they asked me to come over and they say, hey, what do you think about this composition? My, my favorite question to ask them is, well, what do you, what do you like about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they always kind of take a step back and they're like, well, you know, let's take, for example, if they're shooting a mountain stream, I like this boulder with some of the fall leaves on it as my foreground. And you say, you know, what takes away from that? What distracts from that element in your composition? And they kind of work, work with it a little bit and you can see the wheels turning uh, and they reframe it and they're like, well, what do you, what do you see in this composition? And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you like in the photograph? And mm-hmm. we go on this round and round conversation and through whittling it down, they kind of discover what pops out at them, what they take notice to in the landscape versus me just saying, here's the composition, here's the foreground, here's, you know, a leading line to the waterfall and shoot it and you're going to have a great shot. It's more of the self-expression aspect that I love to show people how to do uh, when I am teaching them. And through video, you can do that a little bit, but it's so hard to do in terms of, you know, personalizing it to an individual, unlike you can do in, in a workshop setting or in a private workshop setting. Yeah, very interesting on that one because, you know, if you're out in the field with somebody, you're dealing with dynamic light. You know, mm. you, you can read something from a book, you can watch something on a video, but the light will never be the same as it is in front of you. And I really like mm-hmm. what you said there about, you know, what do you like about it? Because you could turn around and say, ah, look, hang on a second, and you'll create the composition for them. Then they never learn. Then they never figure out what they like within a composition. So that is a very good approach. And I think it is something which can help somebody figure it out themselves it's to you know but without figuring out themselves because you're steering them in the right direction and then all of a sudden it's clicking so when they go back out the next time they're not going to have you next to them they're going to have different light but they're going to have those lessons that you've given them vicariously through themselves learning the answers also hang on when i was there the last time you know david asked me what did i like now i can do the same thing so that's what educating people as opposed to read it in a book you know learn the exposure triangle and off you go yeah yeah and you also have to take a back seat to your own preferences right like if somebody is asking me the exact same thing in post-processing but they've added a lot of warm temperature to it and they're like well i like what this has done to the image you know Mm -hmm. i can't be like that's not really my thing uh do it this way i'm like well the same question what do you like about it why do you like that effect and it's just it it's almost how I go through the process in my mind when I'm in the field, just constantly asking myself how, why, what, where, which, and and all these questions that go into a composition and and framing up a shot. So I try to frame it in a way that they can learn. Mm, Absolutely. And a question then as well is, what do you think is the steepest learning curve that people need to overcome? Not only when they're starting photography, but if even if they're intermediate or if even if they're perceiving themselves to be advanced. But what is the biggest learning curve that they need to come, do you think? I think you already said it uh, in, in our talk, and that's making mistakes. 
Mm. I think that's that's the biggest thing that that people need to overcome is giving themselves permission to make a mistake, giving themselves permission to come back home without any photo at all and still consider it a success, a fun time, a learning process, uh, just getting out of the house and taking a breather. That that is something that I not only constantly have to remind myself of, but if somebody comes to me and they're like, well, I didn't like any any photos that I got today. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, was it still fun? Uh, do you have a good time? You know, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about your photography? And look, if, if somebody's paying to come on a workshop or, or paying for a course after they go out and shoot what they learn from that course, you know, they're, they're going to want a good photograph. I understand mm-hmm where they're coming from, but at the same time, the mentality of making mistakes and um, not coming back with a great foreground, a rainbow in the sky and all these conditions that aren't necessarily a reality, that is the biggest learning curve that I see people struggling with. Mm, Absolutely, I agree with you fully fully on that one. Um, Mm. Let's talk about the podcast. So let's okay. get into let's get into the the nitty gritty in regards to what something you started when you came back, as you say, from Haiti, and you said, "Okay, I'm going to dive into this." Tell us how the podcast started. I mean, look, you know, okay, it's a landscape photography show. It's a really, really interesting podcast to kind of preface it there for you. You've had some fantastic guests um, over a number of episodes. How many episodes are you up to now? Uh, seventy-seven soon. I think we just released seventy-six, so seventy-seven Se- coming up. Okay, so you've a lot under your belt. So how did the podcast start? What was the motivation to do it? And how many mistakes did you make at the beginning? Oh my gosh, mistakes. <laughs> Hundreds, I think. Um, you know, and you'll probably know this too. Like if I go through a podcast and listen and I hear like a follow-up question that I missed mm-hmm. that I think about in the editing process, I'm like, mm, and it just kill. it eats me up. Um I started this one when I got back from Haiti and, you know, my first one, the photography roundtable was much more geared towards like um, the technical side and asking the, the same composition questions over and over. I had a lot of the same guests on a lot um, and it, I kind of got burnt out on it. Okay. And this one, I, I wanted it to be really different. And it wasn't, I, I really credit um, Sarah Marino for helping me come up with this idea because she was one of the first people that I interviewed coming back. And I was kind of struggling like with the first five to 10 people I interviewed because I wanted those first 10 under my belt to give me a buffer mm-hmm. and not, you know, if I missed one this week, you know, I, I still wanted to have one to come out. And I was like, this is kind of ending up the same way as the last one did. And I I don't know if I want to go that direction. Um, And she was like, well, who do you have coming up? And I, you know, listed out some people. And one of the people on the list was Erin Bobnick, who, you know, is a great photographer. She's a great friend Mm -hmm. um, and, and just a really good person. And she said, I would love to hear Erin talk about her creative space after her house burned down in the California wildfires. And something like that is something I had never even thought of before. Like 
who is that photographer as a person and what have they gone through that helped them reach where they are as a photographer now help them mm, reach brilliant. their philosophy of photography and also their philosophy of life so a lot of the people that i bring on you know i'll run through their about me page i'll pick out some some things that of course they're ready to answer but episodes like charlotte gibb is, is obviously fresh on my mind because that's the last one that i i released um and we talk about uh, parenting tactics. We talk about her experience seeing climate change in Yosemite. We talk about, you know, it, would she ever want her kids to pick up a camera? Would uh, Was it challenging for her to mountaineer after her father died mountaineering when she was four um, years yeah. old? So you get, yeah. you get a lot of these discussions with people um, that you see a new side of them. You know, they're not talking about their compositions, their style and photography, their camera gear that they're using. But in turn, you're seeing them more as a human being. And I think it gives them the opportunity to express that to their audience, since that's kind of who they're marketing it to when they release it on social media or to their email list. You know, those people that follow them get to learn about them as as a person and not as somebody who just spills out photography knowledge of mm. you know exposure this aperture that mm, absolutely and you know what do you enjoy most about your your i suppose i was going to say your new forum podcast but effectively it is the new forum podcast but um what do you enjoy most about podcasting let's just say learning about people um and, and having those connections would be would be the easy answer for me um mm hearing their experience, like I said, and, and just learning what they've been through. And and I love, like we've talked about competitive nature of, of sports. I love when I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody asking them difficult questions and them coming right back at me with mm -hmm. a difficult answer that's, that's vulnerable for them. I love getting to a question that makes people say, hmm, that's a really good question or mm. like that they take a long pause and then I edit out later because they're like, I've never thought of that before. And, you know, we take this long pause where they have to really think about it for a second. Yeah, those, um, yeah. Yeah, those, those I, I just love. It almost feels like a little win for me, but I also love to hear their first thought of that when, when they come back at me with an answer. No, very interesting. Yeah, very good. And out of the 77 that you've recorded, I know it's hard for me to ask this question, but have you a favorite and why? One favorite? Yeah, one. Uh, I'm going to say David Thompson. Um, we, I had him on and we had no idea this was going to come up. Um, I scheduled him to come on and the week in between we said we were going to record um, and when we actually did record, uh, the, the murder of George Floyd happened in the United States and set off, you know, all these new discussions about yeah. race relations, um, and him being a black photographer, I wanted, I asked him, I emailed him and said, Hey, are you comfortable sharing this information? Are you comfortable getting your feelings out on this? Uh, he said yes, and we spent 30 minutes talking about 
his experience dealing with race throughout his life, uh, his feelings on what was going on in the United States at that time and, and still really going on today. Yeah. Um, and just what, honestly, what white people need to know. I mean, Mm -hmm. like he's, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's dealt with so many more things, so many more thoughts. And I had a lot of people message me after that saying, I've never felt like that, or I never thought somebody could feel like that. And I had a lot of other African-Americans email me or message me saying, hey, this is what I feel. Thank you for doing this episode. Mm. Um, And it's scary for me to do because I'm, I grew up in the South in the United States. I grew up in an affluent community. I um, didn't have a lot of friends of color when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And I was really unfamiliar with that stage. And all the credit goes to him because he taught me so much Mm -hmm. during that discussion. Mm -hmm. And he was Mm -hmm. the one who was brave and vulnerable to to share that and, and teach me on the spot. Yeah, but you know what? Kudos to you as well for being able to have that conversation of a raw element, let's mm. just say, to be able to be articulated in a way that it can appeal to so many different people as well. Because, you know, okay, timing, yes. You know, what happened to George Floyd was, was horrific. And even mm. now, even the news we're hearing at the moment, you know, that's still continuing on. But to be able to have that conversation and a raw discussion on the podcast mm. that can resonate with so many people, that's a fantastic thing to be able to have under your belt, let's just say, within the podcast. So yeah, kudos to you for being able to, you know, conduct that conversation. Um, Thank you. Something else, you know, kind of, I've alluded to it from my point of view with, with my kids and such like that, but I know you have a very young baby. So how do you balance your professional photography life and family life now as well at the moment, keeping everything that we've discussed? So, you know, you go out, you take photos, you create newsletters, you've got a YouTube channel, you've got a podcast, you create video content, to help people you create courses tell me man you have two kids <laughs> no it's not easy <laughs> <laughs> um it's been a learning process mm-hmm. uh i recently emailed sean bagshaw who heads of his own who's you know a, a great photographer has had a great business for a long time um and i was just like hey i need some advice here um, I'm trying to keep my head above water with, with everything going on. Uh, cause my wife and I have decided to, you know, be serious co-parents and mm-hmm. the fact that she keeps Aspen while, uh, I'm working. And then the days that she works in her clinic, you know, I'll keep her, we don't mm-hmm. send her to daycare or anything. Um, so I've had to take two to three days off per week. Mm-hmm. Um, spending time with with Aspen and and keeping her which I don't regret at, at all but yeah. it has put a lot of pressure on the 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 framework of my business that I already had in place before she came into our lives if that mm-hmm. makes sense absolutely so so he he gave me some great advice of hey your your job is to be a parent to be a husband um, is to do the things that help you to not go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's kind of what I've done. I've taken several weeks now off of YouTube. So I haven't put a video out in three weeks. I have some, you know, ready to go. I have some raw footage of stuff that I've filmed when I've been out. But now instead of, okay, I post every Sunday at 11 a.m., uh, it's kind of moved towards I'm gonna I'm just gonna post when I can like when mm -hmm. I have the opportunity um, so the balance of things has swayed from one side to the other after after Aspen was born you know I spent so much time in those first few weeks with her um, getting accustomed to, to having a child mm -hmm. that I took so much time off of photography that I really remembered why I enjoyed it so much and what even the business side of it gives me in terms of appreciation and joy. Um, so it, it's been a really interesting balance. I feel like dropping the consistent commitment of YouTube has been good for me. Mm -hmm. And I was interested to see what it would do for the people who have subscribed to me and, and they have asked, you know, where a video is when it, when it's coming out. But when I explain it to them, they're very understanding. Um, and then also like analytics side, I have no drop off in views of past videos or subscriber rate. You know, it's up and down all the time. It, mm -hmm. You know, if I don't post for three weeks and I have a surge, it's just this random, I don't know, glitch in their, mm -hmm. in the their matrix. <laughs> uh, yeah. And whatever they're doing over there. Um, <laughs> So I, I, I used to stress about it, but now I just, I don't stress very much. I still do the podcast on a weekly basis for the time being. Um, but, you know, if I decide that's, that's getting too much, I'll, I'll drop that. And mm -hmm. um, all those things are, are going to be there when, when I have the ability to pick them back up. Um, they're they're going to be there. You know, YouTube's not going anywhere if it does, there's going to be a new platform to, to grow and share your thoughts. So that's kind of the approach. And, and thanks to Sean for helping me realize that. Uh, that's probably the approach that I'll take moving forward. Yeah. It, and it, you know what is the most valid approach to take as well? Because everything that you mm. do, you do for your family. So your family should be coming first in the approach of what you do for them. So if it takes time away from them, 100%, you know, um, like you said to me, Isn't you know, you ask. Isn't it so easy to, to get it twisted, though? So like easy. you're a dad. Yeah, yeah. So it's so easy. I mean, you ask me, you know, how do I do it? I've got two kids. I'm lucky. I have a very supportive wife who allows me to get my release from the real world to sure. go take photos. But no, I can't go take photos when I can. It's handy at the moment because I'm going to be able to go to the woods that's next door, so I'm not going far away. But, you know, I think they, 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 the old phrase is that everything is good for you in moderation too much of something can be bad for you. And if that's the case, then I think it's valid as well, even from my own balance. Because, you know, I could dive head, head, headlong, head to toe in photography, but something has to give there. If I dive head to toe into the family, which I do, but photography is still part of my DNA per se. So it is a case of, you know, scheduling it out and saying, okay, this is when I'm going to do that. And if something has to give, it has to give. I mean, I, the, the podcast, the Irish Photography Podcast was weekly um, for two years, um, up as far as November uh, last year. And I had a co-host and exactly the same thing, Dermot, his business, um, because it was gone with the whole COVID situation. He had to spend time with his family. He said, Darren, look, I don't even have time to do any podcast. Never mind, say, 
one a week or one every two weeks or one every month. So I said, sure, no problem. We moved it then to every two weeks. So my podcast goes out every two weeks now. And that's fine. That's manageable. But there'll come a time then where I, like right now, I'll record this. This probably won't go out for four weeks because I've got built up. You know what I mean? So it's about moderation, dedicating the time, blocking out the time, but cutting off at that point and saying enough's enough. Like the old days, you know, work stays in work, home is at home. From a traditional job, you don't bring work home. The challenge with photography is you edit it at home, you're processing it at home. You know, it is all at home, but it, it, it is a challenge and it's something that I'm still trying to figure out the balance. Um, and I know it's going to change as my kids will get older because I'm going to have to do more time now again with them, bringing them to games, bringing them to friends, bringing them to parties, whereas now they're young enough that I don't have to do that. So, yeah, I think everything is going to evolve, but I think it's how you, in, in your mindset, uh, uh, decide what takes priority, which is the most important. That's what For I For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure, yeah. Um, something I wanted to touch on, I've alluded to it a couple of moments ago about you educating and giving so much to people. You've created a free ebook. And anybody can get when they go onto your website. Hey, how you doing? Sign up here. I'll send you my free ebook. What made you come up with that idea? I think it's a phenomenal idea, to be honest with you, because a lot of people create an ebook and they go, "My new ebook is launching. It's only going to be well. It's normally twenty nine ninety nine. It's going to be on sale for." You're saying no, it's free. What made you come up with that idea? Um, and and in addition to that, now I'm also to go along with the ebook, so Brilliant. you get two of those now when you sign up. Um. You know, I, I think email marketing and, and having an email list is the most valuable thing you can do if you are in business as a photographer, even if you're doing it as a side business, because those are the people who are asking you to send them comment content. They're asking you to take up rent in their email inbox, which we all know can be uh, just cluster of random stuff Mm -hmm. so if they're Mm -hmm. asking you to send them stuff they want to hear from you um and as a thank you for me taking up rent in their life when they're you know when they're going through business emails or uh sale emails at their favorite local shops or i don't i don't know what emails people are getting um if they're asking me to take up rent in that space of their lives, I want to thank them by giving something that can help them. And, you know, the, the, the video course is, I believe 45 minutes long, something Mm -hmm. around that point. Uh, The ebook is 126 pages of just information that I've learned as a photographer. And I used to sell that ebook too, but Deciding when I came back from Haiti to make it for free uh, was something that I wanted to do. And and it kind of all goes back to like the 90, 90% free, 10% paid philosophy that I have in business is, you know, if if again you're you're signing up for me to send you content, I want to thank you in that in that framework and, and send you something that you can easily download. Maybe it gives you all the information that you need from me and you never buy something from me, but at least I helped you in some way, form or fashion. Um, Mm. Mm. I don't, I don't want it to be a money grab. 
Yeah, no, kudos to you for doing that. When we get to the, it was actually, no, uh, I was going to say when we get to the end of the podcast, I'll be putting all your links and everything else where people can go to. So we'll put that into the mm. uh, show notes as well. But we'll cover that on it Thank as you. well. Yeah, but well done on that. Yeah. Um, final question for you before we go for our last break. And it's something that how I started talking to you, how I got in contact with you is the new social phenomenon, which is Clubhouse. Now, I mean, I think it's something that technically speaking can change the game because it gives you a platform to be able to communicate with people. You can go up on stage, you can you know, shout for whatever you want to say and people will react and give you their feedback and such like that. Two questions on Clubhouse for you. Number one, what do you think of it and do you enjoy it? And then number two, do you think it's going to change the podcasting sphere or the podcasting dynamic? Um, I love it because it levels the playing ground. Um, you have access to people like if we were talking like this on clubhouse, they would have direct access. If you gave them the ability to, to join in on the conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they sent, you know, somebody an email that they really looked up to who was, um, I don't know one, let's throw out like Chris Picard. Let's throw out like Thor who you had on, um, mm -hmm. recently, who's, yeah. you know, photographing the, the Icelandic volcano or something. Let's say all the emails he gets for the volcano, uh, kind of bury the one that you sent him reaching out to. Now I'm not saying that this would happen to him or he would do this, but mm -hmm. just all the attention that, that through the cracks of my email. Um, sorry about that. Um, so I, I think clubhouse gives you that access directly to your favorite people that you can talk to. Um, now of podcasting, it could change podcasting. Um, in terms of we could just have this conversation live mm -hmm. or we could easily set up a panel and, and have a discussion like I know you do basically every Friday. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it has the ability to change podcasting, but I don't think we should be afraid of that. We should absorb it for what it is because I think it gives value to the people listening and adapt what we're doing to it instead of resisting it too much. Because if, if you resist something uh, in, in the long run. Yeah, you know, it's the old phrase that, you know, the, the dinosaurs, they are gone because they didn't evolve effectively. You have to evolve or you'll die because you have to change. But what is the, 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 the sphere of the social world? And if we're not in tune with that, from what we're doing from a photography point of view. But like Clubhouse, people might think, what is Clubhouse? It's very hard to describe what Clubhouse is because, <laughs> you know, it's it's a platform where you can talk about anything. You can have different mm. rooms about anything. It just so happens from my point of view, I only listen to rooms about photography. But if I'm interested in crocheting, I guarantee you there are rooms there to talk about crocheting. And if there are people that are the big names in crocheting, they're going to want to be on that because they're going to want to tell people how good they are, but they're also going to want to give people the opportunity to ask them a question directly. And that's what I like about it. You can get a question straight out and get an answer. You can put your hand up. You can go up on stage and say, hi, my name is Darren. I've loved your work for the last 20 years. How did you do this? You're talking to the person. And, and that is something which is effectively unheard of because it's not just the average Joe Bloggs like you and me that's on this. There are some big names that have decided to say, you know what, my audience is here as well, and I'd love to be able to talk to them directly too. So I think it's going to be a very interesting platform how it evolves out. 
Um, I saw a news story the other day that Spotify are after buying some business that has some opportunity to do something similar to Clubhouse. So there will become more versions of Clubhouse and different iterations of it. But the concept, I think, is really, really good. What it has shown us is that availability is an underrated commodity. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. And on that bombshell, what I'll do is I'm going to take a last break and I'll be right back. I have three questions I ask every single guest and I'm not going to let you off. I'm going to ask you the same three questions. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalog we have of episodes where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, first question. Give us a funny photography story so what's yours gave it Johnson okay so one of my good friends that I go photograph with Dusty Doddridge um we go what to a the cool name lot. man hang on isn't it isn't what a it? cool name I'm wow. telling you and yeah. look he uh oh what's his friend's name his friend's name is like Rusty Bridges or something <laughs> I don't he always tells me stories about this other guy that he goes out and shoots with. I don't know. Um, but Dusty and I are going hiking uh, up one of the most, you know, it's a very popular hike in the Smokies. And I've never done it before. And he's like, it's 10 a.m. We've already done one hike. We've gone to shot, shoot a waterfall. And I'm like, I'm a little hungry. You know, do, do you think we can go do this other hike? I've never done it before. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can d- easily do it, you know. Not telling me that it is an extreme elevation gain. It's Uh uphill the entire way. Um, It's like four miles to the waterfall. So round trip, it's an eight mile trek and I'm starving already. Uh, You know, I just want a burger or something. Uh Yeah. And um, he, he doesn't tell me any of this. We get up halfway, you know, I'm like, and this is, I'm struggling here. And he's like, oh, you know, just the classic hiker tale. You know, just another mile, mile and a half. Yeah, over the just next Just around ridge. the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So we finally get up there. And I'm like gritting my teeth. I'm furious with him. Uh, but the waterfall is, is beautiful. It's icy. Uh, it, it snowed up there recently. So it's like this wintry type of landscape, even though it's March mm-hmm. when we went up and shot it. Um, everything is green on the forest floor down where we started, but it's icy up top. The only problem with that is now all of the water is icy underneath. So we kind of, we kind of, you know, gently walk across the bottom of the waterfall to get to the other side. It's a better composition. And, um, I post this photograph of this waterfall sometimes uh, on Instagram, at least like once every six months. And people are like, Oh, what a great composition. Uh, you know, how, how did you get it? And I'm always just like, well, you know, I just saw it. But the reality is here is that Dusty's off kind of shooting his own thing. And I'm like, there's another cascade just below that rock that I think I could get to. So I kind of, you know, teeter on the ice going out there. All of a sudden my feet go out from under me and I, uh-huh. my butt hits that ridge and it's like, you start sliding and 
when you're up on a cascade that high on ice, you're, the first thought that runs through my mind is, I don't know when I'm going to stop sliding on this thing. <laughs> so luckily for me, I, I did stop sliding a couple ridges down and kind of, you know, stop my heart from beating really fast, turned around. And uh, there was like this nice foreground cascade uh, <laughs> that I was able to put into the foreground. And, you know, the, the waterfall up top was you know, misty and icy and, and foggy. But then once you take the shot, now you have to figure out how you're going to get up that ridge and get back up there. And there were several slips and stumbles along the way. But, you know, we we did finally make it to uh, get burgers. Well, you know, what? only for falling on your butt and sliding down, you probably would never have found that composition. So they say, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. <laughs> yeah, That's it. Had you your camera gear in your hand when you slipped down the cascade? It was a bagged up. It, no, I did have it in my hand. I had it like on my tripod, you know, the camera was on it um, with the L bracket and everything. I didn't hit it on anything. Wow. Uh, I think just freudially in my mind, I just like held it up above my head <laughs> and just hoped that it wouldn't hit any rocks or trees. Yeah. You know what? Instinctively, you kind of save the camera for another day and you sure, have to get that exactly. shot. Exactly. Yeah. I actually exactly. thought what you what you were going to say was that you hiked four miles in and then four miles back, but then you put it up in line and someone went, oh, is that the waterfall close to the top car park? <laughs> <laughs> I shot that from the parking lot just last yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. No, good story. Good story. Good story. Okay. Second staple question I have is what gear do you use and do you suffer from much gas? Yeah, I do. I, I will admit that I do. Um, but it's short lived because I'm also very stingy with money. Okay. Uh, I have friends that say I, you know, I squeeze pennies so tight I could make them cry. <laughs> now I shoot, I uh, bought an old a seven R two, uh, after the a seven R four came out. So it dropped the price a little bit on that a seven R two, uh, Sony 70 to 200 F4 lens and a Tamron 17 to, uh, 20. 328 something around that range okay um so a good you know wide angle zoom uh tamron lenses are, are amazing i really yeah. love them too yeah, yeah and then uh the lens baby velvet 56 that i shoot with too is is kind of my go-to macro there um do you want me to go uh, like the whole no. bag situation no no i i have one other question to ask you since you said the sony a7 um uh, r mark ii how many batteries uh, have you <laughs> gosh at least 15. <laughs> I mean, the whole top part of my camera bag is camera batteries. I'm not even joking. It's like that their battery system is so dumb. I hate it so much, yeah. but I love that camera so much. Yeah, now the Sony cameras are fantastic, I have to say. I mean, I, I, I shoot Canon um, and I, I nearly made the switch to Sony, but I was hearing nightmares about batteries. I went, no, 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 it's okay. I'll stick with Canon, I'll stick with Canon. So yeah, right. no, good, very, very good camera and great dynamic range as well. Um, which is one thing that the Sonys have, I think, a good edge on a lot of the others on. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. What what tripod do you use? Uh, I'm using a, what am I using? A Gitzo, Gitzo nice. tripod. Nice. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah. How'd you find it? Uh, so one of the companies that I work with, Outdoor Photography Guide, I do a lot of contracting videos and articles with them. Yeah. Uh, and we did a sponsored video and don't tell them like don't let them see this video because 
they have never asked for it back. <laughs> so I've just continued to review it over yes. several months. Yes. Um, yes. But I will continue to do that until they ask for it back. Yeah, no, I, I have as well um, well, Mountaineer or something like that is the one that I have. And, um, you know, the old phrase, they say, never meet your heroes. Uh, yeah. I said this actually on one that I recorded with Chris and Mike Perea, because Chris Perea has a uh, Gitzo tripod as well. But she loves it. I'm not overly enamored with it, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, yeah, right. You know, never meet your heroes, you'd be disappointed. But to be, to be, to be fair to it, though, um, it hasn't failed me at all. Um, right. But yeah, they're 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 good. They're good. But I wonder, yeah. like, I mean, the the one I have here, I think, was retailing at fourteen hundred euros, which is expensive for a tripod. But what? what hey, yeah. how many people have you met over the years that have put five thousand dollars on a fifty dollar tripod? I mean, there's no point in doing right. that, you know. So yeah, you have good feet. It's really really important. Yeah. And I I needed one. You know, I mentioned I was six five. I needed one that I could not have to bend over at my waist every single mm -hmm. time. I needed a taller one and, and that has fit the bill for me. Ticks the boxes, ticks the boxes. Okay, final question, VSP. Very solid product. What's yours? Can, can, I, can I go off script here? Of course you can. It doesn't even have to be photography. It could be plasters for your toes. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna go with instant coffee packets uh-huh okay yeah not even the starbucks ones just like the cheapo dollar store um i've spent so many nights sleeping in my car and waking not even having hot water but mm -hmm. just putting them in a lukewarm water bottle and shaking them up i will have a debilitating headache if i do not have coffee in the morning mm -hmm. and those even though it tastes like old chimney soot it is exactly it's exactly what i need in the morning old chimney soot i love it, <laughs> it no, it's right, true it, it's awful yeah you know but it's a good product to have because if it helps you it needs it then it is something you won't leave home without so you have a very very solid bsp absolutely <laughs> yeah, very good so um david we're almost there i suppose you know a couple of final questions just to wrap up here is you know What's next for you? What's on the agenda in the next, you know, three, six months, a year down the line? What's next for you? Uh, so this spring is is pretty busy, not only going out and photographing uh, and doing the podcast and, and just filming when I can, but um, doing the Out of Chicago Live. Um, I'm doing the Outsiders Conference the weekend after in Kanab, Utah. Um, so I'll be doing those two things, uh, back to back. Um, nice. and then after that, it's, it's kind of just seeing what I can get while I'm there processing those. Um, the rest of the year, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't really have a lot of things scheduled. I think the pandemic, um, taught me how to find local places and be mm -hmm. able to go there on day trips rather than, buy an expensive ticket to, to go somewhere and, and photograph for a few days and rent a car and get a hotel room. Um, I really enjoyed going to local places and, and finding some, some off the wall locations that are, that are close by me. So for the rest of the year, honestly, that that's probably what I'll do. And you're probably better off to do that too, by playing it by mm. ear because you'll come across nuggets and then you go, Oh, I never even realized that. But if you had an agenda to go on the big trips, you'd forget about the small things that the, 
little vignettes that are by your feet per se that the macro right. items that will be able to look at you. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Um, have you ever visited the Emerald Isle? Have you ever visited Ireland? And if you have, when did you? And if you haven't, when are you? I did visit Ireland um, in 2018. Oh, okay. Not that long ago. November, I believe. Okay. Um, so I think that the city of Dublin could pave their streets in gold with the amount of parking violations that I've paid to them with my <laughs> rental car there because they're parking situation makes no sense um my car was booted it was towed it was towed to another illegal lot where i had to go rescue it before it got booted again oh, um and then finally i was able to where i wanted the rental car we were staying in an airbnb in dublin where we could walk anywhere we wanted to I wanted the rental car because I wanted to go photograph the Wicklow mountains and go on some hikes out there, uh, which were beautiful. I had a great day out there hiking and, and seeing, uh, you know, the Wicklow mountains going to a pub and, you know, having a Guinness and, and, um, like shepherd's pie, you know, like the nice. touristy stuff that you yeah. have to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had a great day doing it. However, I was out, a few hundred dollars because of uh, my parking violations. So I have fond memories of Ireland, but I'm sure they have reaped the rewards in my violations as well. Well, look, okay. First advice anyway to you, right? Next time you come to Ireland, you're going to fly into Dublin, get in the car and go west and go to the coast okay. because you don't have <laughs> these parking guys. You don't have these clampers. You don't have these mm. draconian areas where you can park between 7 a.m. and 7.30 a.m. And outside of that, you'll get a ticket. So, yeah, yes. next time you come, you know, let me know. Meet up with you. I'll bring you to the West Coast and I'll show you some incredible scenery where you won't get clamped. You'll be able to park the car wherever you want. Heck, you can even sleep in the car if you wanted to. There'll be nobody to give out to you. You'll be perfectly fine. It's yeah. music to my ears. Yeah, happy days. I mean, I, you know, Guinness is something which is a staple diet in Ireland anyway. It's not just a tourist thing. You know, so it is... Well, <laughs> In the United States, it's it's terrible. It tastes oh, awful. it's horrible. But in in Ireland, it's incredible. Well, side note there, Guinness is a product which is made in Dublin. It's made from water from the Liffey, um, and it doesn't travel well. So when they send it out of Dublin to the pubs around Ireland, it travels by rail for the most of the tr of the journey because mm. it just gets shook and shook and shook. But anywhere it's made outside of the water, the, the special ingredient of the water from Ireland then it won't taste the same. And people don't know how to pour it as well outside of Ireland either because it's just a bump, dump. There's your, there's your Guinness, not Guinness, Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> David, it. um, it's, it's been a pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. Um, where can people find more information about you? Yeah, you can go to my website, uh, davidjohnstonart.com. Uh, you can find me on like Instagram, David Johnston Photo. All my socials are, are linked on my website, so that's probably the best place to go. Uh, that's where links to YouTube and, and my podcast are are housed as well on there as uh, too. And you can find all the podcast write-ups and um, episodes that you can listen to on there, or you can download it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Brilliant, brilliant. I must say you do a much better job than me of giving the images and the actual show notes on the on the, the 77 episodes that are out there because for me, I kind of look at it and go, okay, I try and write a few words in it, but you go really, really into detail. So you know, hats off for that one. I think it's really, really good. Um, Thank you. So, yeah, my listen, least favorite part. 
Well, yeah, I might do. That's why I don't do it. <laughs> I enjoy talking to the people and then editing it right. afterwards. Yeah, so that from that point. But look, I've really, really enjoyed the uh, conversation. Thank you very much for giving us an insight into your photography journey. I hope you enjoyed being on the other side of the of the table. Let's just say now, with me asking you the questions from this one. I did, I did, but I will get payback when uh, I have you on my show. Okay, payback, that sounds ominous. All right, I better get ready. I better, <laughs> I better wear my American football pads and I'll be ready for it for when you ask me those questions. I'll be fine. <laughs> David, thanks. thanks a million, man. Have a very, very good rest of your day. And uh, from me in Ireland to you in Tennessee, as we say in Ireland here, Schlange Fall. Thanks, sir. Hey, guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts? Give us a five-star rating and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week. And remember, keep shooting.